topic tonight, Hezekiah's wall of defense. And this uh, story or account is written in 2 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19, Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, and 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Now we're not going to have time tonight to cover all of those uh, verses, but uh, the three accounts, or the accounts in the three different books, uh, are all almost exactly the same, which is kind of an amazing thing. Almost word for word, which is very interesting. Three different books, no doubt three, at least three different writers, almost exactly the same. Um, and um, like I said, some of them, either a very long chapter in Second Chronicles or divided into two chapters in Isaiah and Second Kings. We're not going to have time to do the entire story tonight. Actually, I think it's going to take three weeks to cover the entire account. But uh, we'll start tonight with Hezekiah's wall of defense. Again, we're in the time of Hezekiah, king of Judah in the southern kingdom. They're in the time of Isaiah, Micah, and the last king of Israel, Hoshea. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. Now we read so far over the last uh, few weeks how Hezekiah was serving the Lord and dedicated himself to serve the Lord and to um, get rid of, open up the temple services, to get rid of all the idols inside that his father had brought in and, uh, and out of the city and held a Passover, not only for Judah, but also for the tribes in the north, Israel, and a great revival took place. And... Uh, and so then he also cut off his allegiance and submission to the king of Syria, which his father had set up and said, I'm not going to pay you taxes anymore. I'm not going to serve you anymore. We're our own kingdom. And so he rebelled and did not serve him anymore. So Hezekiah was on a real roll moving ahead there. And in verse 9, it says, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, so again, all this is still just the very early days of his reign, fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, king of Israel. So in the north, he's in his seventh year. Hezekiah in the south is in his fourth year. That the king of Assyria came against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, a three-year siege, they took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is in the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And that ends the... Southern, the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes. They become the lost, ten lost tribes of Israel. They get taken captive to Assyria, and they're never heard of again. They just dispersed all throughout and just assimilate, and, and that becomes the end of those ten tribes. Now, some of the people of those ten tribes had left the northern tribes and had moved to the southern kingdom all throughout the time from... Um, Rehoboam and Jeroboam's time, all the way through Hezekiah's time. We, we've read that and seen that. And so there were some remnants of the ten tribes that did survive because they moved down to Judah, because they wanted to worship the true God. And so we see even into Yeshua's day and Paul's day, uh, some of those people from those tribes still, uh, still surviving and still leading on. But it's in the sixth year of Hezekiah's reign that the northern kingdom is 
is lost. And so Hezekiah says, I'm not going to serve you anymore. And Assyria, still showing its strength, comes just up to his border, his northern border, and takes that kingdom captive in a sort of three-year siege of its capital. The king of Assyria carried Israel away to Assyria because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and did all and, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. And so it's a very, very sad uh, account. Again, that comes to the end of that story of the kingdom of the north, and uh, because they refused to obey. And so Hezekiah's appeal for that Passover, uh, nine years earlier in his first year, was very significant and very important. It was the last ray of hope offered them and many of the people did accept it. Many of the people came down and, and celebrated that Passover for 14 days. It was so great for seven days. They said, let's do it again, another seven days. And so for 14 days, they rejoiced in the Lord. They heard of the word of the Lord. They repented. They got rid of their idols. And, and so for those who it stuck with, even as the rest of the nation was taken captive and they were taken captive with it, killed or whatever happened to them, their life, their heart was right with God. Uh, by God's grace, and we'll see them in the kingdom of heaven. So it's not the end for them, but the nation as a whole, the king and, 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 and the majority, majority of the people refused, and uh, they were taken captive, ending the northern tribes and the northern kingdom, which never had a good king and never as a whole ever served the Lord. Again, there were remnants who served even during the time of Isaiah, um, or rather Elijah, uh, who 7,000 who didn't bow the knee to Baal, and Elijah himself, and no doubt many others, uh, and again, all those who, who moved to the south. Uh, but again, as far as the, the history of Israel, that's a very sad point in history, and it's a very sad ending of that kingdom. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it picks up this story. After these deeds of faithfulness on the Hezekiah's part, where it mentions the Passover and and get rid of the idols and open up the temple. After these deeds of faithfulness, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. And he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So Hezekiah, again, he does all these things, a revival, praying to God, and leading the people in repentance and confession and, and, and in a life towards the Lord. And after all these things, an attack comes. The enemy comes, and that's how it is in our life, right, Yeshua? After he was immersed, where did God take him? Out in the wilderness to be tempted, right? And so after the revival, after our hearts, uh, Elijah just talking about Elijah. He has this Mount Carmel experience. Fire comes down. God answers the prayer. They kill all the, the uh, priests of Baal. They run, he runs down to the capital, expecting revival, expecting the queen to say, oh, my. Give her heart to the Lord. Instead, she says, I'm going to kill him by tomorrow. And he attacked and he runs. So attack comes after we give our hearts to the Lord. Seems strange, right? We think, oh, now everything's right. I'm on God's side. He's going to protect me. He's going to take care of me. Everything's going to be okay now. And the devil attacks. Because when we're on the devil's side, he's happy to have us. And so, yeah, he'll throw some punches at us just to, you know, keep us, make sure that uh, we know he's boss and and he'll harass us. But it's when we leave his side that he really gets angry, and he pulls out all the stops and tries to 
really destroy our lives, really mess us up, really cause us to fall, and try and drag us back to his side, kicking and screaming or whatever it takes. So that's just expected. It just happens. You know, every stage of our life when we're taking the next step with the Lord, expect there to be opposition. But that's good, right? Because if, uh, if you're not coming face-to-face with the devil, it means you're walking with him. Right? You don't want to be walking with him. You want to be walking in the opposite direction of him, which means you're going to hit heads. It means you're going to come face-to-face with him. Right? You don't want to be following him. You don't want to be walking side-by-side side with him. You want to be walking in the opposite direction that he's going. And that's going to mean, because we're, we're not in heaven yet. You haven't noticed yet. Maybe that's, maybe that's something new that just, you know, we're not in heaven. This is not heaven. <laughs> Some people try and make it heaven, but it's not heaven, and it won't be until the Lord returns and destroys this old earth. We're on the devil's turf. This is his place. This is his dominion. He is the prince of this planet. He doesn't like when his subjects rebel against him any more than Assyria, king of Assyria, liked when Hezekiah rebelled against him. He didn't, he didn't just say, oh, okay, well, that's fine. We'll just you know, get our taxes somewhere else or something. He went and attacked. And Satan doesn't like when we draw closer to God. But that's his problem, not ours, as we'll see in this account and throughout the Bible. That's his problem. She was tempted and attacked, and he gained victory, had victory over it. Elijah eventually gained the victory. God will give us the victory. Stay with the Lord, but expect the attack. That's, that's the point. And so Assyria, the king of Assyria, Shennacherib, comes, and he just attacked and, and took the northern kingdoms captive, and so now he comes for the southern kingdom, thinking to win them to himself. And so you can imagine what's going through Hezekiah's mind. Hey, yeah, I stood for God, and we're doing great. Hey, God, you know, yeah, we told that king of Assyria, we're not going to serve him anymore. And then all of a sudden, the whole northern tribe that's been there for hundreds of years is now gone. They were laid siege for three years. No doubt, horrible, horrible, horrible things happened in that city in three years. No food and no water and not able to leave. And horrible, horrible things happened to those who were captive. And so now reality... Now, faith is one thing, revival is one thing, singing praises to the Lord, having a Passover service, hey, that's all great. Another thing when reality is right at our doorstep and real problem can literally just wipe everything out, that's when real faith is shown. Right? The stars shine at night. God's glory is revealed in our lives in the darkest moments of our lives. That's the time to shine. So when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. They said, we're not going to take this lying down. He's going to lay siege to us just as he laid siege to to Samaria and other countries that they took. And so we need to bring the water inside. Water's outside the city. We need to bring it inside. And so that's what they did. And many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brooks that ran through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? 
So when we run to our cities for protection, and the water's on the outside, and they're out there laying seeds, they're going to drink all the water, they're going to be okay. They'll be able to last forever. That's where the farms are, and so we need to stop up the water so the farms dry up, and they're not going to find any food for them, and they're not going to find any water for them, and we need to bring the water into the city. And that's what Hezekiah did, and there's the Hezekiah's tunnel that's still there today. I've got two pictures here. Uh, on the right-hand side, you see me and Barbara and Larry, and you can see the water at that spot just up to our ankles, but you can see it's splashed on my bathing suit, so some parts in the, temple, uh, in the tunnel, it, it's higher. And you can see on the right-hand side, the picture, uh, how high, it, well, you can't even see how high, it's high, very high at that point, higher than the picture. And you can see how narrow it is and the chiseling that they did to dig this tunnel through this limestone rock underground. On the right, on the your left-hand side um, of the picture, you see uh, I'm coming around a curve, and I just want to show you how sharp the curves are. There's turns. It's not a straight chiseling job. They had lots of twists and turns. I think they already got a map of it. Okay, here you, uh, you can see up in the, uh, well, first I'll just orient you to the map, right? It's an aerial look of it, right? In the very top, it says the Kidron Valley, and so above that, higher than that, is the Mount of Olives, right? So then coming down the picture, you see the black lines. That is the current city walls. The walls that we go to Jerusalem today, or come with us in May, uh, that's the current city walls. Okay, so coming across the Kidron Valley, the wall is there, and you see the red dotted line. That is the, the wall in uh, Hezekiah's day. And so the, around the Temple Mount there, the old wall and the new wall are pretty much the same spot. Um, okay, now moving from there, move to the right, and you see it says the city of David, and you see the red dots going in this loop uh, that outside the current city walls, that's the original city of David, was just that little portion where it says city of David, that's it. That was the original city of David. Much, much, much smaller than, than today, and even outside of what is in today's uh, old Jerusalem. And it's just this little peninsula that sticks out. You can see from the, uh, those other lines, those are the uh, topography lines. And, and so you can see it's just this high point with a valley on either side of it. Um, and okay, so then you see this blue line running, and that is from the Gihon Spring all the way down to the Salome Pool, or the Pool of Salome. And so you can see how it's twisting and turning. And the amazing thing is they dug it from both sides. They didn't have time to just start, so they had teams working from both sides, and they met in the middle. I mean, that's a feat that today they still don't know how they did it. There's a lot of theories out there, but there's no one solid thing on how they, how they did it. And, um, and so again, these twisting and turns, how do they know? We need to go this far and then do a whole sharp 90 degree turn in this other direction. It's not even like it's following a topography line or anything like that. It's just zigzagging through and um, all the way. Again, quite some distance. Uh, it takes, what, about 45 minutes to walk through? Half hour or so to walk through. Um, and so it, it's a far distance, and, and, and so chiseling through that, uh, quite a feat. It's quite an experience to walk through it even today. It's really neat. Uh, at the end of it, there is on the bottom here, you see this, uh, some Hebrew writing on the wall. Uh, they chiseled into the wall a description, and, and as it says above, you're standing at the place where the uh, Shehol, uh, Shehol inscription, written approximately 2,700 years ago, 
during the reign of King Hezekiah was discovered and is written there describing how they dug from both sides and met in the middle. And there is uh, again what it, what it looks like um, in its full form. And here's the exit area of it. And there's Ruth coming out. You can see how high the water is, is there. And so she's so happy to see sunlight again. And, uh, and her husband, Doug, is just thankful that he survived. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's coming out of the spring. Now, right as you come outside the spring, as again, Hezekiah dug it, uh, many, many years later, uh, they set up some statues there. So again, during Hezekiah's reign, they got rid of all the statues. Uh, but later on, they put some statues up there. And they're still there today. Here's a picture of them. Three of, the, three of the statues of, uh, coming out of the Hezekiah's Tunnel, uh, entering into the Pool of Salome area. The idols. <laughs> the idols, yes, idols. Right. <laughs> Back to Second Chronicles chapter 32. And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside, also, he repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. And he sent military captains over the people. So he's taking this attack serious. Again, he see nation after nation after nation attack, even the northern Israel taken, and they're coming for him, and he's preparing. Consolidating his water sources, starving out their water sources, Strengthening the walls, building up the walls that were broken, raising the towers even higher, building another wall outside to doubling the wall, and, and preparing the city of David walls, and made weapons, abundance, training the military, getting them together, setting captains, going through drills, getting ready for this war that's coming upon him. And we also should prepare for the war against the devil that is coming upon us, the daily Wars, the daily battles that he wages against us, as well as Satan's final war against us. Going around as a roaring dragon, knowing his time is short. He's not going to just roll over. He's not going to just go out quietly. He's not just going to fade away. He's going down with a storm. Last great battle. We need to prepare for this battle. Not with swords and shields, but with faith and strength and the word of God. Being our hearts right with God. Making sure there is no broken wall in our heart and our armor. No, open, no opening to get to the heart. Our ears, our eyes, our senses, our desires. Don't let anything enter in. Don't let anything take over. Don't let anything seep through. Don't leave any openings where, where negativity and doubt and discouragement, lack of faith, Worldliness can come in. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Shield our ears and make wise choices of what we read and what we watch and what we listen to. Who we associate with. Who we talk with and who we befriend and who we listen to advice from. Seal up the wall. Strengthen the heart. Strengthen the faith. Build up the armor. The word of God. Build up the faith, trusting in the Lord, walking in obedience, strengthening the muscles, faith muscles, trying the Lord, testing him, and finding him faithful. 
removing the idols out of our hearts and our minds, serving him and worshiping him and him alone. Hezekiah is doing everything he can on his part. People think, well, if you just have faith, you don't have to lock your doors. You don't need car insurance. You don't need housing. Just have faith. God will take care of us. That's not faith, that's presumption. Hezekiah did everything he could in his own power, the means he had available to him, to strengthen and protect himself. We need to do the same. Be wise. Be strong in the Lord. This is a portion in Jerusalem. It's called the Broad Wall. This is one of the walls that Hezekiah built. It's very, very wide. You can see how wide it is there. It's called the Broad Wall because of that. You can imagine this. And then I'm going to give you another. That's the width, right? So you get an idea of the width at that portion of the wall and how wide it is. Now from another angle... Um, you see how high it is there, but on the right-hand side here, you see this blue and white pole? It's higher than that. That's indicating how high it was when it was originally built. I'll show you another picture to show you how high it was. Higher than the playground up there. You can imagine bringing all those rocks, building up that kind of a wall, building that up and building that up, and it doesn't just collapse. And, no, how could anyone... No, I doubt this is a rock that comes from digging out the tunnel. There's enough rocks in Israel that you could build the wall of China around the world. <laughs> There's actually a, a funny joke that, um, that God originally commissioned when he was creating this earth. He commissioned three angels to bring all the rocks to all the world. And they sent them angels, the angels out. Two of them decided, let's just get rid of this. And they just dumped it all in Israel. <laughs> and went for tea or something like that. <laughs> And there's just rocks everywhere. It's, just, yeah. it's not hard to find rocks for the job, um, but uh, still collecting them and carrying them and, and stacking them up. And so again, from another angle, the other pictures were taken over where that fence is, and so now looking at this angle. And so there you can see the full height, that blue and white uh, pole there. That's how high the original wall was in Hezekiah's day, and that wide. I mean, how do you get through that, right? They're not getting through that. So unless there's some, again, unless they starve you out uh, over a three-year period of time uh, or somehow bust through a gate, and even the gates had double gates and triple gates and walls within the gates, that uh, made it very hard. So even if they busted through the gate, then there's another wall <laughs> there that, uh, that you can shoot down at them. And um, it's just really, really tough to get through. And especially with the natural way the city of David was set up with the valleys on either side. The walls built up on top of that. This is in the heart of Jerusalem. Let's look back at that. Oh, thought I had it there. I'll go back to where that map was, show you where it is in Jerusalem. Oh, I have to go away over there. Oh, boy. There we are. Okay. So there's the city of David again. We came down that far, the Temple Mount. Come down from the Temple Mount, and you see this thick red portion. The dotted is where they believe it was. It was and the thick one, she says, you are here. It's an amazing how they always know where we are. <laughs> and that's where it is. So that's in, um, today it's right in the Jewish center section of, uh, of, of Jerusalem. 
Uh, we follow that dotted line up and where it then tees, that's basically about where the, where the western wall is. And, uh, and so right in the heart of the Jewish section in Jerusalem. Uh, coming to the right of it, it's this broad wall coming over here. This is about where, where uh, Mount Olives is and the, and the uh, Zion Gate is. Kind of orient those that have been there and show you where it is. Okay. Yep, so let's run back to you. Here we are in our account here. The wall. Okay, verse 6. He encouraged them saying, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria. For there are big walls outside and they don't have any water outside anymore and we got shields and swords. Is that what he said? Did he have walls and water and swords and shields? Yes. But that's not where he put his trust. He encouraged them, saying, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, for there are more with us than with him. Not numerically. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people were strengthened by the word. This mighty power in words. Power to destroy and power to build up. Be careful how we use our words. Be careful what words we choose to listen to. But he strengthened his people. Again, not by marching the army through the streets saying, there's our defenders. He built up the army. He built up the walls. He provided for the food and water. But he strengthened and encouraged them by putting their faith and trust in God. I don't know. But no doubt they were outnumbered. No doubt there were more Assyrians than there were uh, of the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Numerically, no doubt they were outnumbered. But they put their trust in the Lord God. Encouraged by that. And so the same with us. As we believe and trust in the Lord, we also need to be making provisions and wise choices with our lives, with our time, with our actions, with our finances, doing all we can in our part to keep the devil out and to bring the Holy Spirit in. Both physically in our lives and our actions and what we do, as well as trusting in the Lord. He even says, God is with us. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So if God's going to fight the battle, why train the army? Why do the expense of the shields and the swords? Because we didn't know, he didn't know exactly how God was going to choose to use it. And again, on our part, important to get an education. Important to get job training. Don't just expect, well, God will just have whatever career he's going to have for me. God will just open, I'll just live wherever God directs me. I'll just marry whoever God shows. We need to be prepared. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to become people that God can marry off. We need to become people that God can find jobs for. We need to be the type of people that the, that the Bible outlines, that he calls us to be, and be all that he wants us to be. He's given us a brain, he's given us abilities, he's given hands, he's given talent, and we need to put those into practice. We need to keep up our health, 
Again, some people say, well, hey, we're all going to die whenever God decides we're going to die. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can kill yourself early if you want to. In lots of different ways. You can do it slowly, or you can do it quickly. Or we can choose to follow the way God tells us to live, healthfully, and live then as long as God sees fit. There are things we can physically do. Not just, well, just leave it in God, just blame it on God if we die early, or if we die of some disease that we brought upon ourselves. Our choices, how we live, how we act. And then still trusting God, do whatever God decides. To heal us, to heal us miraculously, to sustain us, to strengthen us, to do beyond what we could have done ourselves. And that's what we see Hezekiah doing. Prepared his heart, prepared the country spiritually, and then provided for them and encouraged them to be physically prepared, and then he prepared them emotionally as well, encouraging them with these words. Be strong in the Lord and courageous in the Lord. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, whatever fears there are, whatever attacks are upon you, maybe it's external, maybe it's something physical like finances or health or, or uh, career situation or housing situations or broken car or problems with your plumbing or whatever. Or maybe it's interpersonal. Maybe it's someone on the job or someone in school. Maybe a teacher, a student, a boss, an employee. Maybe it's a landlord or a tenant or a neighbor. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Whatever's worrying you, maybe the fear of the future, the unknown, decisions you have to make, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Whatever the attack is, see throughout the Bible, lots of different types of attacks that it uses. Don't worry. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. So if you're going through fear right now, you have fear in your life, fear as you think about some circumstance, some situation, if you're worried, dismayed, discouraged, depressed about something in your life, the Bible says, be strong and courageous. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. He's given us love. He's given us power. He's given us a sound mind. Accept God's gifts and reject flat out fear, discouragement, depression, despondency, negativity. Doesn't matter what they say. Trust in the Lord. Doesn't matter how it looks. Doesn't matter who they took over before. Doesn't matter who they got fired before you. Doesn't matter what they're threatening. Doesn't matter what rampage they went on. Doesn't matter how many times they crushed other people. Doesn't matter they laid siege three years to your neighbor. Doesn't matter that they got them evicted. Doesn't matter what they've done in their past. They come against you. They're not coming against just you. Because with them, the enemy, the attackers, it's just the arm of flesh. It's just them and the devil. It's just their voice, it's just their words. 
but with us is the arm of the Lord God Almighty. They're here for a time, like grass, they're here today, gone tomorrow. Even the devil had a beginning. God outdates them all. God outnumbers them all. Even the devil with all his angels, God still has two for every evil angel. And God has all power. The devil has no power. The devil can be in one spot. God is omnipresent. The devil only has the power and authority that God gives to him and allows him to have. God is all-powerful. Trust in the Lord. With us is the Lord our God. And he will help us. And he will fight for us. And he will see us through. And even if that means being like some of the people in northern Israel who came down and celebrated the Passover and gave their hearts to the Lord and got rid of the idols and moved back up to where their place and, and were trying to serve the Lord as best they could up there, and Assyrians came and took them captive, and who knows whatever happened to them. That doesn't matter. Their lives are sealed with the Lord. And eternity is coming. Heaven is coming. The new heavens and new earth is coming. The resurrection day is coming. That's what counts. That's what matters. We look at Peter and James. James is taken prisoner and gets beheaded. They thought that was so great, they take Peter. And the night before, they're ready to execute Peter. Next morning, he's out. And they just showed they can do it. They just took James out. They can do it. God didn't stop them. And that night, Peter is sleeping. I don't know, that'd be an interesting study. How many people on death row sleep well the night before? He's sleeping. And he's sleeping so soundly, the angel has to wake him up. And he wakes up in a daze he was in such a dark, deep sleep. He can hardly believe himself. And the angel walks him through, opens the doors, opens the gates, while the guards are still sleeping, and he walks him out. So he could say, why did God spare Peter and not James? Well, God really spared both. Actually, between the two, I think James had it easier. I think he got off with the, with the better part of the bargain. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not depressed about living on this earth, but, uh, but there's better places to be. <laughs> Again, this earth is not heaven. I'd rather be sealed with the Lord than to deal with you guys. Not so much you guys, but the rest of the world out there. And the devil in all those situations. But if God calls us to live, hey, God calls us to continue to serve. He's got a purpose for us and a plan for us that we be found faithful in doing what the Lord has called us to do. So either way, whether a James or a Peter, whatever the case, whether faithful in northern Israel or faithful in Judah, the Lord will help us and he will fight our battles. Be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Put your trust in God. Not in the arm of flesh. 
trust in the Lord. That is where our hope is. That is where our strength is. And the people were strengthened by his word. And we also, today, close to 3,000 years later, can be strengthened in those same words as we take it to heart. As we surrender our lives to the Lord, we accept the Messiah. Again, it's our natural inclination to be afraid. It's our natural inclination to be negative. It's a natural thing for us. It's what we naturally are. We're natural pessimists. You know the difference between a pessimist and an optimist, right? A pessimist is a, is a boy who looks at a barn filled with manure. This is filled with manure. And an optimist looks at the same barn and says, there's got to be a horse here somewhere. See, that's the difference, right? But we're all born pessimists. We're all born negative. We're all born, you know, oh, they said this thing. They must have meant this evil for me. They must don't like They didn't call me. They didn't like me. They didn't think of me. Poor me. We're all born susceptible to doubt. We're all born susceptible to trust in our own strength and our own power. We're all born fearful, and anxious, worried, and cared. We need to surrender all that to the Lord. Give it over to him. We have no strength, no power in ourselves. To be strong or courageous. But we can surrender our weakness to God. Confess it before him. Acknowledge it before him. And accept Yeshua's death to take it away. That he's removed that carnal heart. That he's removed that weak mind. That he's removed that weak spirit. He's removed our ability to do anything. Without me, Yeshua said, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. And again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, if you don't think that's true, just try breathing on your own. Try and make your own oxygen. Try and go a few hours without breathing. We need God for everything in every moment of the day. Without him, we can do nothing. Trust in the Lord. Allow the Messiah's death to take it away. Accept his cleansing. Accept his washing. Accept his transfer. Your heart for his heart. Your mind for his mind. Your doubts for his strength. Your fears for his courage. Your weakness for his strength. Allow him to trade places with you. Invite him to come in your heart and mind. Allow him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you his divine nature to live out of your flesh. Become a partaker with him in his power and his glory. So as we pray together, whatever is troubling you, whatever has been bothering you, whatever is attacking you, whatever is coming upon you, surrender it to the Lord. Any fears, any worries, any cares, and accept his grace. And if you're not going through anything right now, then just ask God to just take it away in the future. <laughs> Ahead of time, because it's coming. The devil will come, he'll attack again. Ask God to strengthen you now for that time. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to be shoring up. Something in your life you need to be doing. Maybe to increase your health, maybe to build up your walls. Maybe to strengthen your foundation in the Lord. Maybe you've been having, haven't been having a daily worship experience with the Lord. Maybe your spiritual life has been sporadic. It needs to be strengthened. And maybe there's some broken areas. Maybe there's some areas where you used to be strong and 
and some, some parts of the walls have been falling down. Maybe some areas where you've been compromising. And there's some weak spots in the wall. You need to build up the wall. Maybe you're letting some water and springs just be wasted. You need to shore that up and drink in all that God has for you. Not missing out on anything. Not missing out on the services. Not missing out on the midweek services. Having the daily time with the Lord throughout the day, several specific times in the day. Morning and evening, like David, morning, evening, and noon. Shoring up the walls, strengthening. Putting on the armor of God. And trusting in the Lord. Whatever area you're needing, we pray that God meet your need. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thankful for faithful King Hezekiah, who served you and who trusted you, balanced faith and works together, balanced grace and truth, balanced trusting in you and doing all that he could on his part. Lord, as we walk with you, give us that balance. Do all on our part and reveal to us what's in our part and what do we need to be doing. Reveal to us where our faith is lacking. And give us trust in you. And Lord, for those of us here that have been discouraged or fearful about anything, we want to surrender that all to you. Many of us that are compromising in sin, have enemies inside the walls, inside our minds, inside our hearts. We ask for you to remove them out of us, remove the sin out of us. Cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, give us victory and deliverance. Live inside us and live out your life in us and through us and for us by your might. Give us strength, give us courage. Give us reliance on your strong arm. Help us and fight our battles for us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.